Sometimes the bear eats you. <laughs> Sometimes the bear eats you. I love it. CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the palatial Franklin States in the west end of Richmond, where it's Monday. It's Monday, June the 21st. What are we doing? Why are we here? Well, funny thing, um, sometimes the schedule just sort of lines up and you have to do a podcast on a Monday. So we are here. We're going to talk UVA baseball. Obviously, the Cavaliers got off to a great start in uh, Omaha on uh, Sunday, which was yesterday, which feels like a month ago for to me for some reason, um, six to nothing win over the Tennessee Volunteers. Um, I have family uh, in Knoxville. My cousin went to UT. My uncle went to UT, um, and I, I've not heard from my mom or them about if they heard anything about this baseball game, which is kind of interesting. Anyway, we are going to talk about said baseball game and kind of you know, talk a little bit about what's what's ahead for the Cavaliers now that they're actually in the winners bracket for once. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. And for tonight, everybody is one. Mr. Damon Dillman is back on the show. How's it going, my friend? Hey, I'm all right. What's going on? <laughs> hey, that's great. I love it. Hi, um, yeah. So, Damon, um, one, how how was it in Columbia? I feel like you were there and you came back for like 30 seconds and you went back and you, you know, got to see Ransbacker, which is great. But um, something tells me that as much as you would like to be in Omaha, you're not too upset about being at home for for this one um but how how was i guess you could say charlottesville south considering you know virginia stayed there for two weeks how how was it down there we were calling it little omaha because it, it felt like one of those marathon omaha runs in 2014 and 2015 you know we got the whole band back together there the second weekend because andy Fletterjohn came down as well and channing was there and so it was you know, it was it, it was a reminder of, of, of how enjoyable those things can be. It was also a reminder of how much of a grind those things can be. We get we, we all got reminders of, of what what the full UVA baseball experience can be from a coverage perspective in the postseason. So but it I mean, just just from the perspective of watching what they were able to do across those two weekends. And it seemed like every game somebody else was putting his name in the UVA record book for some sort of feat that we hadn't seen before or hadn't seen in a long time. And it's just, it, it, it's been fun to watch these guys who've been around and a part of this program for so long and have not had that success that, that, that I think fans and everybody else had been accustomed to with this program. Now they're getting this opportunity for a lot of them. It'll be their only opportunity. And, and uh, they're certainly making the most of it. They're certainly, I mean, you look at what they're, you go into the, into the media book and you see what the, the postseason record book looks like now. And so many of these guys, whether it's Brandon Neek or whether it's Alex Tappan and Jake Geloff with the home runs they've hit or some of the other things that these guys have done, it, it, it's, it's been entertaining to watch them etch their name in this program lore. Obviously, Kyle Teal. 
Devin Ortiz, Griff McGarry. The, these guys, those names are going to resonate now around UVA baseball, just like Ernie Clement and Chris Taylor and Adam Hazley and Brandon Waddell. These guys have met Matt Wyatt, what he has done. It's, you know, you didn't know what to expect, especially after they lost that first game against South Carolina to open up regional weekend. But ever since then, even after losing that first game to Dallas Baptist, it's just been, it's been, it's been a fascinating ride to watch it all unfold. Like the kids say, all gas, no brakes, you know, um, floor till the engine blows. <laughs> seriously. Um, they, the thing that it was, has been so surprising to me. And, and then I want to circle back to Columbia in a second is how, I mean, I understand, right. We talked about this when you were on the show last, right. The idea of them playing, you know, essentially postseason baseball, you know, elimination baseball well before the postseason actually arrived well before they were actually quote unquote eliminated. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I made a comment, um, you know, on the show. And then I ultimately, I think I, I put it in like a tweet or whatever for one of your stories, but like essentially that coming back is like a skill. Right. But what I find sort of fascinating about this is that a lot of this has happened with a bunch of dudes who have never been in these spots. Now, granted, maybe Oak has been there, you know, these, the, the, the program has been there, but you just listed off a bunch of names of dudes who had not, who, who had not had this sort of postseason experience. You know, right. this was not, you know, guys learning from, you know, what they did last year, or the year before this is a, a bunch of dudes are sort of figuring it out as they go, regardless of whether or not they're, you know, Kyle Teal or, or Griff McGarry, you know what I'm saying? Like varying degrees of experience in a, in a Virginia baseball uniform. Yeah. And yet they're on this big stage and making, you know, that, 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 uh, that, you know, four run inning they had, you know, where they're just cranking yesterday. Um, but it's not just that. It's not just that thing. It's like the consistency across the game. And they, they all seem to have, I don't know if it's just that they benefited so much from playing so, so many games with their backs against the wall, or if something just sort of clicked into place for them mentally, but they're just in a very rare space right now where nothing really seems to rattle them. Um, have you you've covered UVA baseball for a long time? Have you? It was when's the last time you saw a team that that had this kind of level of like I don't want to call it inexperience at this point because you know the whole what's the whole joke right that is you know a freshman by the end of the season is really a sophomore. Like obviously by this point they have it, but what they've done to get there, it's remarkable considering their lack of experience. What's do you have a comparison I for mean, that? It, it, within this baseball program, it's pretty unprecedented. You'd have to go back to the early days of Brian O'Connor. That that 4 team, his first team, had not played in a regional prior to prior to Brian O'Connor's first season. And then 09, that 09 team, that was the first time they broke through and got to a super regional and then got to um the College World Series for the first time. That that was all new for the program back then. But in this modern era, the last decade plus, or this is unprecedented for this program because it's sort of been the culture of this program where you come in as a first year and the program's filled with third or fourth year guys who have, have not just been to regionals, but in most cases had been to Omaha previously. I think it's starting with the 0506 recruiting class going through to the freshman class that was on the national title team, the Paven Smith, Ernie Clement, Adam Hazley class, every recruiting class from, from that stretch starting in 0506 through 2015, 14, 15, every recruiting class had been to Omaha at least once. That's, that's how this program did it because they went in 09 and then went back two years later and then the back-to-back -back years in 14 and 15. So it's, 
it's it's literally been handed down from generation to generation in this program. I remember my first year covering this team was this program was 2012. And that was when Mike Pappy, Nick Howard, Kenny Towns, Brandon Downs, Derek Fisher, Nick Howard, did I already say him? Uh, Conswell. Uh, those guys were all first years that year in the program. And there were still a few guys left over. Chris Taylor was still there. Brandon Klein was still there. Jared King was still there. Bruno. Reed Gregnani was around for a few more, year, for few more years. Those are all guys who had been on that 2011 team. And, and so that first year class learned from that veteran group. And then they grew up into the third year class that went in 2014. And then when a bunch of those guys were drafted, the 2015 freshmen came in. And it was like the next generation. It was Hazley. It was Pavin. It was Ernie Clement. It was that recruiting class that was the backbone. Obviously, they all played key roles in that 2015 national championship team, but they were the backbone of the regional teams in 2016 and 2017 as well. And then the next generation after that, because it turns over every, every three years in baseball, was the group that's, fre- that, that's seniors now. They were freshmen in 2018. They took over. They were the next generation to take over after Hazley and Pavin and those guys. And there were still some veterans around, but this group has kind of had to find its own way. And it's, it's been a challenge for them, obviously, 2018 and 2019, missing regionals for the first two times under Brian O'Connor in this program. And then 2020, I don't know. It's hard to say where this team would have wound up. They were 14 and four when COVID hit and the rest of the season got canceled. But yeah, it's, it, they've had to do a lot of learning on the job. And even in a lot of ways, had to do a lot of learning on the job this year. I remember Drew Dickinson compared it to playing all these ACC series, playing 12 of them this year. He compared it to playing a super regional every weekend. And you're trying to take two out of three every weekend. And they weren't, we all know it's well documented by now. They were not able to do that for those first few weeks of the season. They didn't win a series until April. And then as the season went on, they figured out how to do that. They did it at Georgia tech. They did it at Clemson. They lost the one. They lost the one at home to Louisville, but then at well at home against Duke and then at Virginia tech. And then they came back from finals, just, just rolling from that point on essentially. So yeah, this group is like, it's one of those cliches. You have to learn how to win. It took this group a long time to figure out how to win in these big moments. But now that they've figured out the formula, they certainly are doing it really well, whether their backs against the wall or like you alluded to at the beginning, this is the first time that they found a way to get a win to open a weekend and avoid the losers bracket. And so, but they're, they're just, this is the culture of this program, though, too. This, 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 this can be attributed to the coaching staff, to Brian O'Connor and to Kevin McMullen, the two guys who've been a part of this, and Matt Kirby, who's been a part of it for a long time now, too. They just – these guys when – you, when you talk to guys who come out of that program, they come out the other side of this program, and it's been this way for a long time. They always just credit the coaching staff for – they get these players so overprepared almost – for any scenario, any moment, any stage, that when they get there, they feel like they've been there before, even if they had not, which is the case right. for this this group. Right. It just that coaching staff just knows how to prepare them for these moments so that they're not overwhelmed when they get there and they're not swept up in the emotions when they get there. And it just it's just business as usual. And that's the way it looked yesterday against Tennessee. I'm going to make a comparison here, and folks can throw things at me if they if they feel so inclined. You can 
tell me what you think, Damon. I was thinking about it yesterday as they were cranking them out in that in that four run inning, and it just sort of seemed, they just sort of seemed. Um, I don't want to say routine. That that, that that lessens the impact. It just seemed like inevitable. Maybe that's the way it's phrased. And it reminded me of the Syracuse game that Virginia played in 2014. Now, remember, that was, 2014 is a season where you know yeah. they, go to, they go to Tennessee and they lose 87 to 52. They get just absolutely just, just pasted, right? I was there. It was terrible. Um, Joe goes to Tony's house. And New yeah, Year's Eve. So, so that was their third loss in five games. They had only beaten Norfolk State by ten um, the week before, right? So before the Christmas break. Is and that then the year they, they lost to Green Bay too? Yeah, that's yeah. They lost to Wisconsin and then Green Bay, and then they beat Northern Iowa and uh, Norfolk State. Now the reason I'm bringing this up is because after that Tennessee game, they win three in a row. They lose to Duke by four. Um, I believe that was a Suleiman shot, right? And then they rattle off yeah. 12 straight wins. And the last one of them was that Syracuse game, right? Where, I mean, it was just inevitable, right? Like that whole that that whole day, it just felt like UVA is going to close out and such and such. And if you look at that team, right? So you had Brogdon coming back off the um, redshirt year. You had Joe Harris as a senior. You had Anthony Gill as a sophomore. You had um, Akil Mitchell as a senior. Uh, you had Justin. that was yeah Justin Anderson uh, uh, as a sophomore. Um, London Perantes was on that team. Um, so, I mean, that's the Michigan, that's the team that lost to Michigan state in the, um, NCAA tournament. Right. Um, but whatever, but what I'm, what I'm think, what I, what I thought about though, is it like, if you look back at 13, that, that 2013 team was in the NIT, right? Yeah. You look back at 2012, that 2012 team got just absolutely pasted in Orlando by Florida. Right. And you think about guys who, who kind of came to form suddenly in that 2014 season, Right. They had not had like a stretch where they were just like, you know, that great. Like they had maybe some moments here and there, but it just sort of all coalesced at the right time. I mean, heck, in 2011, you know, they, you know, that you th- look back at that team when Joe was a freshman, right? That team ended up missing the, AC- in the NCAA tournament. They were 16 and 15 overall, seven and nine in the league. And that was closing the season with, with the regular season with a pair of wins. Um, now, the, the parallels here are a little bit off, right? Because you've got, you know, obviously Virginia baseball playing in Omaha, right? So this is the college world series. They're one of the best eight teams, you know, obviously in the country, or at least the last eight teams left. But that team um, made the sweet 16, I think. Exactly. So if you think about yeah. it, like in terms of like some, some translation and what I find sort of interesting about the parallel here is that you have a bunch of guys on that Virginia team in 2014 that clearly were really talented who maybe uh, early on in the season and just hadn't gone the way they thought it was going to go. Right. Um, I remember, you know, in the fabled, you know, Joe went to Tony's house thing, the whole <laughs> Joe after that said, you know, it, it was all about getting the thing back on track. Um, he talked about, you know, that they, it was almost like Virginia, like Tony had almost given him too much freedom. And you look at what, what, what Oak did with this group, you know, in the kind of come to Jesus sort of meetings that he had with them. Um, you know, when, when things just did not get off the ground, right. They got the thing back on track and they've really been able to, I think, learn a lot along the way. It certainly doesn't hurt when, your bullpen is that deep, right? How deep are they? They didn't even need to go to Mr. Dippin' Dots, right? Last night or yesterday, excuse me. Like, I mean, no. he hasn't pitched since he hasn't yeah. pitched since the old Dominion game. Yeah, and Dave sent a you know, I mean, and listen, uh, Dave and Ferber obviously get the week off this week, but Dave sent a text was like, should should we be concerned that he hasn't pitched in a while? Like, wouldn't you want to get him a little bit of work? Um, I think. You have to keep. I mean, not to get you off uh, off track, but I my my thoughts on that are 
he threw 75 pitches against old dominion in that game he like that's his start that's at the beginning of the year that's right around the number where they want to limit their guys like abbott the first couple of weeks of the season 75 80 pitches was his limit so i think that that essentially was a start for steven shock so to give him an entire week off makes a lot of sense even if that meant missing the entire super regional and now he theoretically is back and recharged and ready to go whenever they need him out in Omaha. But I mean, it, on, I, it looks odd to not see him against Dallas Baptist, but I think their biggest concern was they needed to give him a full week of rest. Like they would a starter to, uh, to recover from that outing against old dominion in that, in the walk-off game. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to get you. No, off no, track. you're good. No, no, you're good. And that's a, that's an excellent point. I, I, I think, but that just really does speak to, like how talented that bullpen is, is that, you know, you can, you don't even need to worry about going to your, your, your closer because you've got, you know, other guys who, and I mean, look, they're (laughs) between McGarry and Wyatt right now. um, I mean, they're both just throwing fire. Um, I mean, McGarry is, 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 he's on a whole other level compared to, you know, where he was. I feel like, I, I mean, you can speak to it more um, accurately, but I feel like Wyatt has just sort of kind of churned as the season went on. Um, but that bullpen is so good that you know that's one of the what's one of the ways you have success is when you can count on on guys to to throw strikes and get outs. And when the when that when the bats wake up and they every game it seems like they have this you know you know sort of dry spell and then eventually you know it's like an awakening and it's like. You know, they're like cautions in, in NASCAR. You know, one begets another. It's like when Virginia scores a run, it feels like more are coming always. Um, and, I mean, they're playing with so much confidence right now um, that they don't, yes. you know, even when they make a mistake, it doesn't seem to balloon on them. Um, you know, like they, they do they do such an incredible job of, of not just staying focused because that's so cliche, but there's also just like a um, – there's a there's a level of execution that is required, but it's beyond that. It's it's consistency. You have to consistently execute. Um, you you know you might make a play here and there, but I mean like they had a couple of plays in the field yesterday. You're just like wow, like that's not stuff you'd seen from this team. And I mean you talk about peaking at the right time. I mean they're just in a really good spot right now, which is which is fun to watch. Yeah, and I mean you're talking about the defensive plays. Oak talked between. After the Dallas Baptist series, before going out to Omaha, he talked about defensively, that's that's kind of the unsung thing in all of this. And they're just, you have to, the way he phrased it was, you can't just be solid defensively. That's the foundation. That's it. You have to be solid defensively. You have to make the plays. But then every once in a while, you have to make, as he described it, the sensational play. And he pointed out the catch by Newell in center field in the top of the seventh inning to Rob, to Rob uh, Sosa of the home run, the leadoff home run off Wyatt in the seventh inning, because that would have made it a 3-1 game against Dallas Baptist. And that, that changes some things. A one-run lead versus a two-run lead in that kind of situation, that's significant. And we saw more of those sensational plays yesterday. We saw Codier snare that line drive to get the second out of, I think it was the fifth inning. And then again, yeah. And then that same inning, Kent made the play to get the third out, to get out of that, to get out of that inning. Kent made another play later in the game to start the six, four, three double play to get out of another jam. And that was the one that ended with Jake Geloff. Yes. Stupid first. Yes. I mean like that, he made that play and I'm like, dang, he's not even like really their first baseman. If you think about it, you know what I mean? He's only been playing first base for, what is it? It's, it's not even two months yet. 
yeah, that he's, since, that he's yeah, been playing first base. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, and those are the sensational plays that he's talking about. And I mean, it, you go back through the history of this program, find me a bigger defensive play than Kenny Towns at third base in game three of the college world series finals. And then mm-hmm. not just his play, but then the play by Paven Smith at first base to get that throw and make that play complete the out. So that's what he's talking about when, and that's just, again, it goes back. This, this team is just so well prepared for these moments, even, even early in the season when they weren't playing well, I remember coming when Brian O'Connor came back from when they came back from Florida state or when they got, they got swept by Notre Dame was a different story. But when he came back from Florida state, he said, we just, we just need to keep our heads down, keep doing what we're doing. And we just got to win series. But the, if we just keep for, you know, this, this is ironic coming from a Sixers fan, but if we just trust the process, <laughs> uh, pains me to say these words right now, but uh, oh, I want to wash my mouth out, but, but I digress. Uh, I can't, I can't yeah, believe you no, did that. They, they, they just, they just stay true to who they are as a program. Talking to guys when they were like, I remember Brendan Rivoli, Alex Tappan, early in the season talking about, we just need to stay true to again, two more Philly guys, but that's, you know, so, but uh, yeah, it's the, the, this program is built on just putting in the work and the, the game will reward you. Brian O'Connor is a big believer in that mentality. And it, it, it has proven to be the case with this team this year as, and, and we saw in a lot of ways, they didn't get, actually, they did get a lot of hits yesterday. They finished with like 13, which was the most they'd had in a game in Omaha. In a couple of years, I think since the 2014 Vandy Finals was the last time that they had that many hits in a game out in Omaha. But again, and, and, and all of those hits seemed timely. Logan Michaels let off that third inning with the home run. It was Michaels who got that string of RBI singles going in the seventh right, inning. Right. And, and once that started, like you talked about, it just kind of built off of itself like, like a train running down the tracks cross country. Yep. And... It just, yeah, this, this, this is what this program does. It, it, it timely hits, great pitching, and Brian O'Connor's a, it, it, he's his teams are always built with a strong shutdown bullpen in mind. His best teams have always had these great bullpens, whether it was Josh Fours in 2015, whether it was whether it was Lewicki and Nick Howard in 2014. Matt Wyatt has sort oh, of oh man, Nick Howard, he, that dude threw gas, yeah. Man. Yeah, we were trying to remember in Columbia prior to uh, Griff McGarry uh, who the last guy to hit 99 on a radar gun was at UVA. And and uh, we think it was Nick Howard. Before be, that, yeah, yeah we, it, it, we couldn't even think of anybody prior to Nick Howard. But, but yeah, I mean, they, they've always had these guys out of the bullpen. Matt Wyatt's sort of the he, – he's been handed the torch. It was Spores in 2015. It was Artie Lewicki in 2014, and now it's Wyatt who just going out and posting zeros every week. And and Brian O'Connor, just a strong bullpen. His teams are always built around a strong bullpen, and they've got a strong one and a deep one. And they only used Wyatt and Abbott yesterday, which bodes well. Even if Griff does not have his best stuff against Mississippi State tomorrow night, they'll have plenty of options to who they can turn to because it, it, this is huge. Getting a 2-0 is huge. It was huge in the regional, and they weren't able to do that, obviously. But if they win this one tomorrow, we saw it in both 2014 and 2015. They don't play again until Friday. So that's that's very significant. That allows them to get their pitching even more aligned and even more rested. So expect to see if Griff does not have – if he's not sharp right away, expect to see 
all hands on deck out of that UVA bullpen because two and zero is very significant out in Omaha. Absolutely. And before we we talk a little bit about um, the Bulldogs specifically, um, who, but for the record, if you're a Virginia fan, you're really glad that you don't have to see Bednar because holy crap, that did yeah. some incredible stuff uh, last night. Um, against Texas. Their closer, Sims, is really good, too, and he pitched yeah. three innings, so I don't know what that means for him tomorrow night. Yeah, my guess is that if, if UVA is going to see him, it's not going to be it's not going to be tomorrow. It would potentially be down the road, and, and you know, if they can get by him and that kind of thing. But, um, realistically, you wrote an interesting piece talking about, you know, sort of getting the program back to where they expect to be, and there's, you know, and Oak said later in a press conference, you know, guys take a lot of pride in that uniform. Um, it's interesting to see a team with the pedigree that Virginia has, even despite, as we talked about earlier, where guys themselves have not been in these big spots. They sort of all not they, they didn't they don't just they don't just like accept that mantle, but they sort of all sought it out, right? Like you've you know yeah. you've you've had like an incredible run of like you know feature stories that came back up later. And but one of the themes that you, that we've seen with a lot of these guys is like this is what they came to Virginia for. Like they came to go to Omaha. They came for, you know, 1186. It was all about, you know, that's where they expected to be. This is where they're supposed to be. Um, as you've covered this team, have you seen a shift in their personality in terms of, you know, when you talk to the different guys and that kind of thing? Or has this always, was this always sort of there under the surface, just sort of waiting for success to find it? No, I think, I think that confidence has always been there with this program. I think that's, that's part of what they look for. When they when the, 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 there's a certain kind of guy they look for to play UVA baseball kind of guy, and I've talked a lot. I brought it up quite a few times. That I remember the first time I met Zach Gelos, he just felt like a UVA baseball guy. He just felt like the kind of guy that 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 fits in this program. Just puts his head down and does the work, and shows up. And he's the same guy every day. Doesn't get too high, doesn't get too low, and. It made a whole lot of sense to me when I was talking to him uh, a couple of months ago about that story about him and his brother, and, and it came up that that he first he first wanted he first realized he wanted to play baseball at UVA in 2014 because he was already out in Omaha uh, while the College World Series was going on for a travel ball tournament, and they were out in Omaha for a week or a week and a half, whatever it was, and they were able to go see a couple of games at the College World Series, and UVA was one of the teams out there. And UVA was the team he identified with. He just seemed to identify with the guys on that team. And it made a whole lot of sense to me because he would have fit in really well on that 2014 UVA baseball team. He just had the same, has the same mentality as a lot of the guys who were a part of the program back then. And so Kyle Teal, Kyle Teal's, Teal's the kind of guy who would run through a wall. I don't know if you, if you saw the story Bennett Conlon did about him as a high school football player, but it just, it just it, it's his mentality is such he's a football player playing baseball that he's he he's 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 a little different animal and and he he i think we've talked about this before but he somehow cut his hand on a pair of scissors trying to open a box and wound up at the emergency room and while he's sitting there in the emergency room he looks up at a tv and it's UVA and Vanderbilt in the college world series finals in 2014 and that's how he wanted to come play for this program and it became his dream school. He always talks about how Virginia's been my dream school. It all started in the emergency room. But but to your point, no, these guys are just they're just all wired that same way. There's it, it's not cocky, but it's definitely definitely a confidence. But they all show up 
and they just go about their business every day and they don't get too up. They don't get too down. And that has served them well throughout this season, the slow start and the way things have picked up. And now here they are in Omaha. And again, like Andrew Abbott talked about it yesterday, Andrew Abbott talked about how there were 22,000 people in the stands in, uh, in Omaha yesterday. And he's, they're not used to pitching, especially this year with all the COVID restrictions with crowds in most stadiums, they're not used to pitching in front of those kinds of fans. And it, he admitted it took him a little bit to get settled in. We saw him walk that first batter on five pitches, then give up the hit. And then he had no choice but to settle down and they were going to be in trouble, but he was able to do that and get out of that jam and give them six innings. But, but yeah, this, the, the, these guys are just, they're wired for this. And, and as I talked about before, they've been conditioned for this by the coaching staff and they're just, this is just who this program is and the kind of guy they look for, the kind of guy they recruit. And this is, this is what it's supposed to look like in, in, in this is Brian O'Connor and Kevin McMullen's vision for what a UVA baseball team is supposed to look like. And, and I mean, who are we to question? Cause it's worked out for them so well over the last few years. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk about Mich- uh, Michigan state, Mississippi state. Um, does Michigan State even have a baseball team? I guess I do. Um, <laughs> we we talked a little bit about you know sort of obviously they're pitching. Um, what, what's your what's your vibe going into this game tomorrow night? Uh, as folks listen to this tomorrow, uh, it'll be Tuesday. The game will be later today. What are, what are your what are your, what are your thoughts on on the Bulldogs and how do you what do you like about this matchup or not like about this matchup from UVA's point of view? Well, I I wrote about this a little bit. Uh, uh, for the thing you put out there tonight, but it's interesting just how UVA just always seems to run into these SEC schools out in Omaha. And this, this is another example. And they're just SEC programs are just, you know, you're going to be playing a very good baseball team in every aspect of the game, power arms, like we saw last night and a dangerous lineup. Tennessee was the same way. And South Carolina was the same way in the regional Vanderbilt's the same way in the other side of the bracket out in Omaha. It's you have to be prepared for these. Mo- I mean, everybody's good. Obviously it's the college world series, but the sec is right there. It, it, it's arguably the best conference in college baseball. It has three teams in Omaha right now. And UVA, UVA just has had a knack for solving these sec schools we saw it again yesterday against tennessee tennessee came in leading the country in home runs among the teams i mean there's only eight teams left but they had the most home runs of those eight teams and uva holds them without an extra base hit so i think it's obviously going to be another good pitching matchup mcleod who's going to start for mississippi state i'm pretty sure he has been their friday guy their number one guy for for much of the season at the very least before they went with bednar in the opener against texas but I think it. I think it comes down to Griff McGarry because everything comes down to pitching this time of year. Everything UVA has been able to do has been built on this postseason. Has been built on the performances they've gotten from this pitching staff. So, if Griff McGarry's the same guy he was against Dallas Baptist, if he's the same guy he looked like in that start against Old Dominion before the thumb had to knock him out of that game, then UVA's UVA's got as good a chance as anybody to get to two and zero because. Yeah, good. It's an adage for a reason, but good pitching beats good hitting, and we've seen this UVA team do that throughout throughout this run. We've seen Griff McGarry do that. He's he's complete completely reinvented the narrative that surrounded his UVA baseball career just in the last two weeks. It's pretty remarkable. He was a guy really who is. looked like it's 
it's just like Oak, Oak talked about it and, and uh, I wrote about it after the Dallas Baptist start, but he's a guy who just, just couldn't rein it in. He, all the stuff in the world, Drew Dickinson talks all the time about how he might be, have the best pure stuff in the country and just couldn't harness it. And for a couple of tweaks, a couple of mental tweaks, a couple of mechanical tweaks. And he just, this is the guy who they expected him to be for the last couple of years. And especially this year. And, and I, 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 I've said this to other people, it's, this, this is who UVA thought they would be. And I think a lot of that was built on that one, two punch at the top of the rotation of Abbott and McGarry. And we're finally seeing what they kind of envision this looking like. And if McGarry had been this guy all year, we'd be talking about UVA probably as a national seed in this NCAA tournament. But if he just goes out and he keeps base runners off the bases, he, he limits his walks, he throws strikes. The strikeouts are great. But just get outs. Just give them innings. If you can give them five or six innings and get into that bullpen like we talked about because that bullpen is fresh too and keep them in the game because this lineup, again, has a knack for when the opportunity present has presented itself, they found a way to get the job done. We saw that a lot against Tennessee, especially in that seventh inning. So the formula is there. They've established the formula. They've shown us what it looks like. Good pitching good defense and those hits when the opportunities present themselves. And so that all starts with getting a good start from Griff McGarry. And he's been able to do that the last couple of times out. We'll see if he can make it three in a row, which would, it would really bode well for this program. If he can go out and do that again tomorrow night. The, um, I got two things first, um, watching him yesterday, you know, it kind of felt a lot like, you know, back in my old, you know, when I used to really live and die with baseball back when the Braves were good in the early early to mid-90s. And uh, it sort of felt like watching the National League versus, you know, whether it was the Yankees or the Indians or whoever. Um, that's kind of how it feels watching UVA play these SEC teams. Uh, the difference with this year's team is that, like, the, home, the, the long ball can, come, it can become a factor at any point. Um, you know, you think about sort of the, the mix of talent they have in the lineup. The second thing I was thinking about as you were sort of talking about McGarry is there there are a handful of times as I've been in this job where there's kind of an uncomfortable moment for you because on the one hand, you know, you have to tell the story. So whether it's, you know, UVA losing to a 16 seed or whatever, but you kind of feel bad that you sort of have to talk about this thing. And McGarry was one of those situations for me, you know, because he lost his, you know, he lost that job and it, 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 it sucked, right? Like it, it was, there was no way to really kind of sugarcoat it. Um, but it was the right call for the, for the ball club. And in the, I remember, you know, in those times after, you know, it just kind of felt uncomfortable. Like, you know, I don't want to put it on like on the front page, you know what I mean? Like it just, it's just one of those things that just, it's one of the downsides of sports is like, you know, a situation like that. Um, but the way you, you mentioned, you know, you said, you know, he's rewritten the narrative in two weeks. He really has. And I think, this start, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to look at, you know, putting too much pressure on the kid or whatever, but like this start could not just cement that, but it could even like, it, it could expound on it in a substantial and meaningful way. Um, if they get to two and O, it's a significantly different story. Um, yes. you know, and especially because of the way, you know, not only do you have the time off, but then just, you know, all of the advantages that come with, you know, it's almost like incumbency, right? Like it's all of the advantages that come with it. Um, from a, from a, you know, kind of a, um, not just, a, you know, in terms of, you know, him giving him, a, you know, a number of good innings on the bump, but then also too, 
um, you know, the mix that they have available in the bullpen, you got to really like UVA's chances, especially considering how confident they are. Um, how do you, how do you sort of see this one playing out? Do you, I mean, you mentioned it, right? It's all about whether he, you know, he can kind of keep being who we saw him in Columbia. Um, can he, can, can he continue to be that guy? And if he can, you know, and, and it just comes down to Virginia sort of working its way through the order. They're so, they're like the Michael Myers of, 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 of hitters. <laughs> you know, they just keep coming after you, you know, like, all right, so you sat us down in the first and the second, you know, somewhere, you know, we get our second, third look at you, you you're going to be in some trouble. Um, and I actually thought one real quick before we, before we sort of um, get back to the, the, the issue at hand, I was really impressed with how aggressive they were at the plate uh, against uh, um, Tennessee yesterday. Yes. I thought that that actually worked really well in their advantage, in their favor. I thought it was a it was a clear signal from Oak and his staff. We're here to win this thing. We're not going to be timid. We're not going. You know, we're gonna we're gonna do what we do. We're gonna you know we're gonna bunt people over. We're gonna you know manufacture runs, but we're not gonna sit back and wait for these dudes to get into a groove. We're gonna attack. And I thought that 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 piece. You know, you you look at the number of pitches a guy throws, and you're like, oh, well, you're letting him off the hook. But at the same token, what you're doing is you're getting your guys up there, and they, that mindset of aggression, you know, there are a lot of teams who try to take the air out of a ball, you know, or or try to sit on a lead. Virginia's going to be one of those teams that's not going to stop. You look at what they did, you know, throughout you know that big inning yesterday. They, there was no quit in those dudes. They were not just happy with this many runs. They wanted more. I, I love their aggression at the plate, and I'm, I'm curious to see what it means for Mich- uh, Mississippi State. God, how many times am I going to call Michigan State for Mississippi State tomorrow night? Oh, right, because you brought up that Sweet 16 game. <laughs> That's what it is. I've, I've got Michigan State on the brain. Hashtag Tevin was fouled. Um, all right, let's <laughs> let's wrap up with this, dude. Um, I, I, I want I, we, We've talked a lot about the team and, and certainly about sort of the matchups that they faced and sort of where they are and such. I'm just curious for you to, to get to go back to Columbia – um, you know, to do it not just one weekend, but the second. I know you mentioned, you know, it's kind of a long haul, and it felt a lot like being in Omaha um, way back when. But how, what's it? What's it been like for you covering this team this year? How much fun have you had? Um, kind of being back on the beat, and I mean, you know, Dave texted the other day because um, he wasn't on the show with Herbert and I, and he texted. He texted. And he said, "I love, I love." Now we have a segment of each each podcast where we basically talk about how great Damon is. Um, and I don't know if you've been listening, but we basically talk each, each podcast. There's at least a section where we go, man, isn't Damon just killing it? Um, but anyway, how, how much fun has it been for you? Um, what kind of stands out about this season for you so, so far? I think one, once it, it took a little getting used to, uh, number one, obviously being a print guy or a, a virtual print guy, but then also just, there are a lot of challenges that come with, zoom and covid and getting getting accustomed to that because one of the one of my favorite parts about covering the baseball team is just being able to go over to practice and watch them practice and get a much better sense firsthand of who's playing well who's playing where what the coaches are thinking you get to know these guys a little better on a personal level so it, it that part of it was a challenge but it's just like like i talked about at the beginning it's just been these guys were these guys were pretty much written off in, 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 in at the end of March, early April. A lot of people thought like, all right, you know what, UVA, yeah, the math says they still have a chance, but it's it's going to be a real challenge. But I just I just never got a sense that they thought they were out of it, and obviously they were proven correct. And it's just it's just been it's from at at first 
as things were starting to turn and as, as April was getting into May and the ACC tournament was approaching, I kind of, I didn't want to play. I remember when I talked to Aaron fit, he used, he talked about comparisons to the 2015 team and he used the phrase, it's kind of a lazy comparison. And I kind of thought the same thing, but then as, as, as this got rolling, you, you just, you couldn't avoid it. You couldn't resist it because it really was real. And then when I talked to those guys from the 2015 team, just talking to them and, and the similarities they saw, it's, it's the parallels are remarkable. Like that season, it was the Louisville series when they got swept at home and the coaching staff laid into them. And then it was going into Carolina where the coaching staff was a lot nicer about it, but still made it clear, Hey guys, we got to win these games. And it was same thing this year, Notre Dame, they got swept at home. The coaching staff, Oak said he got into them pretty good during that series. And then it was going to Georgia tech and same thing. They were nicer about it. But again, you guys, you guys just, you need to play better baseball. And it's just, it's just, it's just been such a fun story to tell the fact that, that they have turned things around again. I know none of these guys this year were a part of that 2015 team, but it, the similarities are remarkable. And it's just, it's been such a fun story to kind of chronicle and be a part of. And I, I, I know everybody jokes about how that documentary about the 2015 team is the Andrew Ramsbacker show, but uh, you know, he got to be a part of this again this year too, for those two weekends at Omaha. And it just, it's just this uh, it's just, it's been a lot of fun to watch and now seeing these guys back out in Omaha and I'm okay. Like you said at the beginning, I'm okay with not being out in Omaha because that can be such a grind. And there were a lot of logistics things where it wasn't really feasible for it to happen this year, but, and especially with the convenience of zoom, everything being virtual. So, but it's, I've just really enjoyed, like I said, and I'm sorry to keep repeating myself, but being able to chronicle the way this team has turned it around and tell some of the stories of some of the guys who've been so pivotal to this, to this run this year and this turnaround. And just like you had mentioned earlier, it seems like every story we told at various points along the way has come back to the fore throughout the course of this postseason run, whether it was McGarry, whether it was Devin Ortiz, whether it was the Geloffs or Teal last week or just all of these guys. And it's, it's just, it's, I grew up a baseball guy. And so just being able to, to kind of watch this firsthand and be a part of it's been, it's been a really good experience. And I appreciate you letting me, let me have this experience, giving me the opportunity to be a part of it like this. Oh dude, no, you've absolutely crushed it. And, um, I, uh, I gotta be honest, like, you know, I have always been someone who was, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't delegate where, well, I'm not somebody who, um, you know, who, who, who says, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, so-and-so does that. And I'm just going to stay hands off and just wait over here. Like I would much rather just do everything myself. Right. Um, but there is not a single, uh, doubt in me that had I tried to do what you have done this season that I would not have done it a 10th of as well. And, um, I just, I, the reason I asked the question is because, because I think it's an interesting perspective. I feel like, you know, for a lot of Virginia baseball fans, Virginia fans in general, you know, getting back to Omaha, seeing this team have success, it, it sort of does rekindle a lot of those same sort of vibes and feelings that they've had before. And, and I just was curious about the juxtaposition for you considering, you know, being able to be back in there and covering this team again. And certainly the, the year that they had, 
you know, there were, there were some, obviously some, some rough goings there um, early on, but uh, it's been, it's been remarkable in a variety of ways. And certainly the stuff you've, you've done to chronicle it has been fascinating. Um, I appreciate your neighbor who keeps me on my toes. If I miss any um, sort of edits <laughs> that I should have caught, um, but it's been great. And, and, you know, the fact that, you know, we get to see at least two more games with this team, um, you know, from, for me, from a, you know, from the, from the website standpoint, you know, baseball was always the thing I wanted to cover more of, but you know, it's just be- between when baseball season starts and, and stuff. And I, I don't like to helicopter cover teams. You know, I'm not going to be one of these people who, you know, Oh, the lacrosse teams and you know, is going to play on Memorial day. So let me see if I can get credentials. Like I'm just, that's just not me. Like, I, I think if you're not going to cover them, you don't cover them. If you're going to cover them, you got to. And I, I love the fact that we were able to do that. And I love the fact that it was you because the stuff you put out there has been great. And hopefully you'll get to, um, you know, see where see where this thing goes and um, finish out this story um, in, 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 in grand fashion, so to speak. But I think that is a very good place to put a pen in it for at least this week, um, considering, you know, most folks are going to be listening to this and probably watching tonight's game. Um, so if you are somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. And if you don't mind, you can look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Wherever it is that programs are sold, um, quote unquote sold, uh, we should be there. And if we're not, let me know because I want to make sure we sh- we are. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod but you haven't given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out at CavsCorner.com. I've mentioned, you know, Damon covering this team. He's got stuff. He's got a preview sort of thing on a notebook on Griff McGarry getting the call. Um, he's got you know a story about you know Abbott and and uh, Logan Michaels and them you know obviously winning that game yesterday. Um, and really a fascinating story with Harrington and, Sp- and Sperling um, guys who were on that team last year, who were seniors who are not on this team this year, watching from afar as UVA goes back to Omaha. Um, so I thought that was really interesting on the football recruiting front. Obviously it's a really busy time. You know, war room has been out every Friday morning. We'll be back again this week to, um, to again, give you some, some names and, and visitors and, and check in on sort of where recruitments are. Um, wouldn't be surprised if UVA gets another commitment between now and then. Um, I caught up with four-star defensive lineman uh, Caleb Artis uh, last night, and he he's a fascinating interview. Um, so if you haven't checked that out yet, definitely give that a look um, in your podcast app of choice or in the content item for this show. I also want to say thank you to Andy um, Ludicky um, for MyPerfectFranchise.net and for their support of CavsCorner.com and the podcast. You can visit MyPerfectFranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. All right, Damon, I think that's it. Again, I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Damon for, again, giving graciously his time as always. I very much appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back with you sometime next week. So for Damon Dillman, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. Best.